Welcome to episode 153 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Teresa Alexis. She is known as the Military Bride Strategist and is the number one military marriage, family, and relationship coach. She is an educator, an entrepreneur, author, and speaker whose mission is to educate military marriages and families in strengthening their dynamic and facilitating mental paradigm shifts. She is also a Marine Corps veteran who is married to a Marine Corps veteran. In this interview, we touch on something we haven't talked about on the podcast, miscarriage. Teresa experienced two miscarriages before having a successful pregnancy with her third child. We talked about how hard it was to go back to work after having a miscarriage and having very limited time off to recover mentally, emotionally, and physical from the miscarriage. October is Infant Loss Awareness Month, and I know it's September, but October will be here before you know it. If you have experienced infant loss and are looking for resources, there are a number of resources that I put in the show notes to help you with different events happening this year in October. This is a really important topic, and I'm really glad that we got to cover it. So let's get started with this week's interview. Season 3 of the Women of the Military podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Women of the Military podcast would like to thank Sabio Coding Bootcamp for sponsoring this week's episode. Sabio Coding Bootcamp is a top-ranked coding bootcamp that is 100% dedicated to helping smart and highly motivated individuals become exceptional software engineers. Visit their website at www.sabio.la to learn how you may be able to use your GI Bill of Benefits to train at Sabio. Your tuition and monthly BAH stipend may be paid during your training period. They are also 100% committed in helping you find your first job in tech. So don't forget to head over to www.sabio.la to learn more. And now let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Teresa. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? Wow. Okay. So just growing up, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. It wasn't the best of situations. So I was like in the back of my mind thinking, I got to get out of here. <laughs> I have to leave. I, I don't know how I'm going to get out of here, but I have to get out of here. So I applied to, you know, several colleges and I got accepted. There was one in D.C. that I really wanted to go to. I really wanted to go to Howard. And my family wanted me to be close. And I'm like, no, I have to get out of here. And it just so happened that there was a Marine recruiter walking in the hallways one day and he had on dress blues. And I was like, what kind of uniform is that? Because I was in Army JROTC, so I knew what their uniforms looked like. Had never really looked into any other branch. Thought I was going to go to the Army. 
I knew I was going to go somewhere to get up out of Birmingham, Alabama. But that uniform took me by surprise. And I was like, tell me more. I was like, it's the uniform for me. And so he began to talk to me, talk to me about all the things going on with the Marine Corps and not what it could give me, but what I could give it, which I shouldn't ran. But, you know, I was listening and it, I was intrigued, really. And so I ended up taking an ASVAB. I ended up signing my contract. And basically one of the main reasons I joined was to get away from where I grew up. Because I was like, I, I've always wanted to live somewhere else. And that's why I applied to colleges that were out of state. I never applied to one in state. And my family didn't quite like that. But I knew I wanted something more and something better for myself. And the military happened to be a pathway to get me there. So when you say your family didn't want you to go out of state, were they not supportive? So you didn't have any financial options to go out of state or were you limited in financial resources, even if you had tried to go to in-state college? So I was very smart. So I had scholarships and I could have went to Howard University, which is where I wanted to go and may eventually still go there for school. But the only thing I needed was transportation to get there. And they're like, we're not paying for that. So uh, to answer your question, yes. And then they were like, oh, you can just go down the street. And it's like, I'm not trying to go to that school. I didn't even apply over there. I'm trying to figure out why y'all think I want to be here. And so for me, it was like, okay, you're not going to help me get to where I can use my scholarship or where I can, you know, better myself. I'm going to find a way to get up out of here. And it happened to be the military. And I was 18, so I didn't need anybody to sign for me by the time I went into the debt program and all that. But uh, there were many tears from my family because they just thought I was just going to sign my name and go straight to war. They, they didn't know the whole process or anything like that, because I know from my dad, he was thinking about, oh, my goodness, the draft, which it just, I think, passed in some recent years where women would be drafted. It's in the legislation right now. So it's in the NDA. So it might or might not pass. But he was like, oh, my God, the draft. And I was like, they still drafting men. I think they were just really afraid to let me go, which growing up, we weren't that close. So I, I don't know. But, you know, I think in the back of their mind, they was just like, oh, I can't have, you know, my kid die. You know, I don't want my kid going to war kind of thing. So. And what year was it when you enlisted? So it was 2006, right after I graduated high school. So, yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense that they were concerned, especially if they didn't know anything about the military and they only saw what was on the news. Right. Because six years before is when the towers came down or five years, whatever. (laughs) But I think they were totally freaked out. And they're like, oh, my goodness, she could be anywhere and anything could happen. But I could also be anywhere and anything could happen being a civilian because those people on the plane, they weren't all military. For them, it was just a lot of fear. They didn't really know how to support. And I think it was a matter of they wanted me to do what basically they wanted me to do. They had maybe these dreams for me. And I'm pretty sure I didn't do any of them, but I still turned out great and I'm doing something awesome with my life. So I don't know. I think they should be grateful and happy. Yeah. So you decided to enlist into the Marine Corps because your dream of going to Howard University wasn't going to be fulfilled. And you said that the Marine Corps recruiter talked about what you could give the Marine Corps. What Did he say that you could give the Marine Corps that kind of made you still interested instead of going back to the Army where you knew more about that? 
So the way he shaped this thing is, you know, sometimes we're like, what can I get out of this? We're always thinking about us and what we can get out of something. And it can it can come off a little selfish, but he's talked to me about what I can give it, things I can implement, things I could change. And I was just like, wow, that sounds great. Now, I didn't do any of it, (laughs) really. But um, well, I feel like I didn't do any of it. I know I was a, a part of the whole process of the hair changes for the Marine Corps. So I am proud of that. But I wasn't the lead on that. I just helped a friend who was the lead on that. So I'm very proud and very thankful of that. But that was literally right before I was getting out, which I tried to look back and see if I did anything. And then there there was that. And I did do a lot of things. I, I was able to fulfill a lot of goals of living overseas, you know, and doing martial arts, which I probably wouldn't have did martial arts just being a college student. Probably would not have even been interested. You know, I did CrossFit. I did a lot of stuff. So I had a lot of opportunities. Obviously, I made rank. So I wasn't like the same rank throughout the entire almost eight years I was in. So, and I was able to have several different jobs. Some of the jobs I didn't want, cause you know, it's the needs of the military. I feel like I was able to give a lot back cause he did talk to me about how I can help other troops, which I know I did. And that's kind of why I'm doing the job that I'm doing now is because it's, it's like the mission continues. And I say he was able to help me take my self-centeredness out of it and say, This is how you can help troops. This is how you can help the institution as a whole. So you really like the idea of being able to help other people. And that's what drew you to the military. And that's drew to what you're doing today. So let's dive in and talk a little bit about your time in the military. And we'll start with basic training, because that seems like a good place to start. (laughs) But your face tells me maybe not. Oh, goodness. Okay. So first of all, I was in receiving for two weeks, meaning I wasn't picked up by a platoon yet. So there's a lot that my recruiter didn't tell me. It's kind of like he just threw me out there and was like, swim. And I'm over here like, this would have been so much easier had he just told me, this is how you respond. This is what you do. And so like the lady would tell me to pick up something and I would do it, but I wouldn't say anything. And everybody else seemed to know what I didn't know. That was like, you're supposed to say yes, ma'am. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And, you know, don't let them hear you say I, because, oh, my goodness, they will lose their mind. So but receiving wasn't that bad. Then we, we were to meet our drill instructors and it was four of them. And I feel like they were all the kill hats. Everybody was like, who was your kill hat? And I was like, I have no idea because they all killed us, basically. So I don't think I had just one. I think I had three. And then there was the senior. But, you know, the yelling didn't really bother me because, I mean, my parents were yellers. So it's like, oh, I grew up with this. I'm going to be fine. It was the constant calling me to the quarter deck because I had two last names, both my mom and my dad's last name. And so I was like, oh, my God, every time somebody get up there, they're like, oh, you want to have two last names? Let's put you on this quarter deck, too. And I'm like and because I'm like first. So I'm Alexander Jones. It's like they just come out and it's like, don't make eye contact. It don't even matter. There's like. Alexander Jones, get up here. And I'm like, man, why me? So, you know, I would be lying if I said it was fun. I mean, there was some fun times with the other recruits when we had our downtime after we earned it. But other than that, nothing about that was fun for me. <laughs> you know, it was a learning experience. It definitely taught me selflessness and discipline. And it taught me a whole lot of other things that 
I'm not saying I would have learned in college, but I definitely wouldn't have learned after 13 weeks in college. So it was definitely an experience like that. It's just real profound, just the amount of things you learn in such a small time period and you retain it. And then you have to go out here and use it, basically. And for a lot of people, it was a culture shock. But for me, I was like, in the back of my mind, I'm not going home. I'm not getting dropped. I'm going to be in this platoon the entire time. I don't care if I have to kill myself. You know, we say that, but basically that means deny this body and push through. I'm going to make it through and I'm graduating with this platoon. I'm not falling out. And it broke my heart when a lot of people did because, you know, you build that cohesion in that platoon and even in boot camp. And then you like they get dropped and it's like, oh, my goodness. So for me, it was like always in the back of my mind. I'm not feeling this. Not going to go back home. Mm-mm. And then it's not that I cared what anybody think. I didn't even think about that part. It's just like for me, I have to do this to make sure I get through this training. But boot camp was basically that transition from civilian to for real Marine. And a lot of people don't make that transition in boot camp and they struggle the entire time in service. But for me, I was like a sponge. So it's like I need to learn this so that I can go and implement it and be the best Marine at whatever rank I get. Do you think that because you had that mindset of like, I'm not going to go home, like I can't quit, I can't be recycled. So you were like, I'm going to absorb as much as I can and I'm going to take it all in. Instead of if you were like, well, I'm just going to try and get through this, then maybe it wouldn't have been the same way. Yeah, I think it would have been a little bit harder for me had I not decided like this is what I'm going to do. You know, and there was some difficult parts in there because I had never shot anything before. I had never swam really at all. I mean, I went to the YMCA, but I did not get swimming lessons like my parents didn't do that stuff. So me learning was at boot camp. Me learning to swim was at boot camp. Me learning how to shoot was at boot camp. So I was like, oh my goodness. Like when it came to the water, I thought I was going to be fine because they don't tell you to the end that you're going to have to jump off this high diving board. And I'm like, what? I'm gonna have to do what? I'm sorry. That is really high and I cannot swim. So I was there several days early to learn. And so I I do like that opportunity because even my drill instructors were like, you not failing. We don't need you failing, you know, and not just me, but they're like, we're not trying to have people fail. We need to make good Marines and we need to make sure you're ready because when you get out there to the fleet, it's going to be a whole nother story. This boot camp culture is just boot camp. You don't have that when you pass all your schooling and go to the fleet. So it's, it's not going to be like that. They're going to be expecting you to know everything we've taught you up until this point when you get out there. Although you don't, because I mean, you're kind of just pretending before then. And then it's the real deal. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is for real. You know, when you get to the fleet. But I think my mindset played a huge part in me pushing through. Yeah. And I think you got brought up a good point of the drill sergeants, they don't want you to fail. They want you to succeed, but they're not going to make it easy on you. It's not like we want everyone to pass and we're just going to make it easy. They make it hard because they have a job to do. And it's not that they don't like you. It's they're doing their job and they actually do care about you a lot and they want you to succeed. Right. I remember like after the first week we were allowed to talk to our senior. And so I um, went up to the hatch and I said, I think this drill instructor is picking on me because she would always be in my face. And I'm like, I'm, I'm having to stand there and have bearing and not say, do anything. 
And I have to pay attention because if I let my mind go somewhere else, she's going to be talking to me and I'm not going to be answering. Then I'm going to get hammered on that quarter deck. So I was just like, I think she's picking on me and I don't know if I can do this. You know, that was the first time in my so-called adult life because I was 18 that I felt doubt in that way. Senior was like, I think you can do this. I think you got this. She was like, matter of fact, I know you got this. And so what I didn't know, but later found out after I was in the fleet, because my pastor was a drill instructor and he told me this. Soon as that drill instructor went in there and talked to the senior, she told her everything I said and she told her to kill me, you know, and they don't say it like really like, you know, murder me. And so I just want to clarify that for people who are listening who aren't military. She basically told her to break me down so I can be built back up the right way. And I didn't know she did that. And I was like, how she find out? Was she listening at the door? And so I was I was in the fleet by this time. And like the first church I went to, the pastor happened to be a Marine. And he was talking about boot camp. And he was talking about his time as a drill instructor. Same scenario, but it was guys. He said this guy told him that because he was the the senior at this time, told him that he couldn't do this. And he was ready to, to check deuces, basically. And he told his drill instructor, make sure you kill him out there. Make sure you break him down. And I was like, that's what y'all do? And he was like, yeah, I was like, I, I'm about to find my senior drill instructor and tell her about herself. You know, I knew she was. She was stationed where I was stationed. So I was like, this is messed up. Here I am thinking I could trust you when it's really a lie. I cannot trust you. <laughs> and you stabbed me in the back. And I was like, I never felt so betrayed. And she didn't do it as a malicious thing. She did it to, to help me, obviously. And it worked. I remember that like it was yesterday. And I will always remember that as something like, oh, my goodness. One, be careful what you're telling these drill instructors out here in boot camp. And then two, OK, it was something that benefited me in the long run. Yeah, it was really hard, but it, it benefited you. Right. Well, you finished basic. And then do you go to your first assignment or do you go to what we would call tech school? Or how does that all work? So it's boot camp, MCT, and then MOS school. What's MCT? So MCT is Marine Combat Training, and then it's infantry school. So people who infantry, they just go from boot camp to infantry school because, I mean, what else you going to do? You don't need the other stuff. Then for us who are not infantry, we do infantry type school so we can be real Marines. And then we go to our MOS school. So we do it in that order. So from boot camp, we go to MCT and I can't remember how many weeks it is. It felt like forever because I'm like, I just left boot camp and I'm having to do the same stuff again. Is it just as intense with like the drill instructors or is it a little bit more laid back? It's a little more laid back because you're Marines now. I mean, you're not recruits. You're not being made to be a Marine. So, you know, once you get that EGA and graduate uh, boot camp, you're a Marine. So you go to MCT and then, you know, you get treated like Marines. You get treated like boots, but (laughs) you get treated like Marines. It's not so crazy, you know, and you can say the ranks now. You don't have to be like, sir, ma'am. And, and it's hard, obviously. And, you know, you still say yes, sir. And yes, ma'am. To the people. And they're like, I do work. Don't say ma'am or so, man. It's like, y'all know we just got out of boot camp yesterday. Right. But yeah, we did have a break because I graduated like three days before Christmas. I graduated boot camp. So we got a break and went home. Then we all went to MCT. And then a lot of us from boot camp were in the same platoon again. And then we went to our separate MOS schools. And because we had different jobs, we didn't see each other anymore. I was open contract, which 
Worst mistake of my life. And nobody told, see, I told you, nobody told me. Everybody else seemed to know that. But I was like, well, I didn't have like family members like that who went to the military. So, I mean, who was I going to ask? And I didn't know to ask that. So, (laughs) you know, there's that. But I ended up being motor T. The worst, in my opinion, one of the worst jobs you could ever pick as a female because I don't want to drive and I certainly don't want to drive Humvees, seven tons or anything else. Let's talk about open contract because I think it's a really good point. And a lot of my listeners are women who are looking to join the military. So you joined the Marine Corps and you said at the end of boot camp, I'll do whatever you guys want me to do, essentially, right? Yes, but I didn't want to say that. Right, because you didn't know. Like, you didn't say that. That's just what, by not signing anything, that's what the Marine Corps heard you say. But you didn't know that you had the opportunity. That's so crazy you didn't know that that your recruiter didn't set you up for success. Uh, He didn't really set me up for failure either. He did help me because I was like, I got to get out of here. So he gave me exactly exactly what I wanted. But, you know, it's just like, okay, I'm learning even in my young age at 18 to be very specific about what I want. Okay, I want to get out of here and then I want a job doing X, Y and Z. Didn't know what I wanted a job in because I'm pretty sure had I got the job in something close to what I'm doing now, I would have to be an officer and I would probably not be a Marine because Marines don't have like counselors as an MOS. I mean, if he would have told me I could have did legal, I would have been like, okay, I can go to school, you know, and I'll do legal or whatever, or paralegal even, which is really what legal clerks are. And I did do that for a little while. So I was motor T, but I ended up in the admin shop, which I don't, I don't even know how I ended up there. I guess they just needed somebody and they saw my name and was like, ah, let's pick her. So I was in there. I did, I was a mailroom clerk. I was an admin clerk. I was a legal clerk. And I was like, this, this is too too much. It's, it's a lot. And as a legal clerk, you definitely see some crazy stuff that you would see in the legal field. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Would I want to be a lawyer? Absolutely. But some of those cases, some of those things, it's just like, I don't know how y'all make it without going to therapy. I, I I have no idea. So But I did a whole bunch of jobs. I was a MEMS clerk, which is people who are ordering the parts for like supply and uh, motor T, you know, and different different other um, MOSs. And then I was supply admin for a while, which is the admin part of supply. So there's warehouse where you're doing inventory, stacking shelves and all that. Then it's the administrative people. And I, I did that. So my actual job was motor T in my first four years, but I later lap moved. So after I was in motor T and I was like, so I'm either going to get out or I'm going to stay in. I thought I was going to get out, but my career planner definitely convinced me to stay in. And I was like, okay. So I lap moved and I ended up being dispersing, which is finance, a finance technician in the Marine Corps. And cause it's two sides of that. One's a comptroller where they deal with stuff for the Marine Corps. And then us people who deal with pay for troops. And it wasn't always Marines. So if there was Air Force, Army, anybody attached to us, we dealt with their pay too. And Lord, dual military couples, like, okay, you know, it definitely taught me a lot because me and my husband were dual dual military. So, but once I realized I was going to be having babies and I was going to be staying in, I was like, yeah, I can't be motor T. I'm not about to be on convoys at like seven at night. And lo and behold, I thought I got a different, better job. And it is a better job, but 
same hours as Motor T. I'm like, what? why? We can't do anything at night because the people up here are not even there. Oh, no, it was better. So you said you were already dual military when you cross trained over to your new job. So when did you meet your husband? So, so after I graduated from boot camp NCT and MOS school, by this time it was 2007 because 2006 graduated high school, did all that stuff. So April 2007 is when I hit the fleet officially. As soon as I hit the fleet, I meet him. And honestly, when I met him, I wasn't like, oh man, he's so fine. You know, I just, I was doing something else. I, so I didn't even really notice him fully. He just said the craziest remark to me. He was just like, do you want to cuddle? And I was like, wait, what? You know, he asked me and the other Marine I was with, it was a dude. He was just being funny, but I didn't find it funny. So I was just like, are you like a crazy person? <laughs> like, are you crazy? Like, you don't even know me. He knew the guy, but I'm like, weird. Okay. So I just kept, you know, I ignored him and I just kept talking. And so I was like, that's strange. And then probably some days later, I took him a truck that he had to take a test in a seven time. And he nearly killed me because he backed up into the little pavilion. I'm sitting under the thing shaking. And I'm like, okay, I didn't expect this to be happening, but I also didn't expect to die this soon. I thought I had a long life to live. You know, after that, man, I was so mad and he was still trying to talk to me. I'm like, you almost killed me. Like, what? And so we ended up becoming friends. And I thought, honestly, that he was interested in someone else. I thought he was interested in my roommate. And so I was like, oh, that would be so cute. They'd be cute. They be cute together, you know, is what I'm saying in my mind. And they are saying that me and him would be cute together. And I'm over here like, oh, I didn't even look at him that way. Like I wasn't, I mean, I joined the military because I had goals and that was my drive. So nowhere in there did I ever plan to be married when I got married or to have kids. I didn't plan for it. I didn't even think about it. I was just thinking about, okay, got away from Birmingham, Alabama. What can I do in this military to make sure that I get to where I need to be? Literally, that was it. Didn't think about a husband. Didn't even think about a boyfriend. Took me by surprise when I found out he was interested. I was like, wait, you're interested in me? Like, not that I'm not pretty or anything like that. It's just like, I so thought you was interested in my roommate. And here I am thinking, y'all just hanging out, but really y'all devising a plan for me and you to hang out. I was so lost. (laughs) You know, it was a whole thing. So that's how we met. And we were probably dating for about three or four months. Then we got engaged and it was probably almost a year before we got married. Cause in April, I met him soon as I hit the fleet. He was the one of the first people I met. I wasn't ready for that. Not gonna lie. <laughs> Cause I was just like goals, you know, in my mind. And then, you know, we got married in March of that next year. Wow. So, right. Wow. Cause I mean, I wouldn't have planned it that way because I thought, so right now I'm 33. I thought I was going to be married at 30. I thought I was going to maybe adopt children, you know, by I'm this age, you know, maybe adopt one or two kids. And I also thought I would still be in the military, but towards retirement. So clearly (laughs) that did not happen at all. And I have not adopted any children. I had got married at 19, turned 20 the next day. 
have three children. Well, I, I birthed five children. I have three living children. So needless to say, my life went very different than I planned, but it really has been great. Wow. That's such a crazy story that you went from meeting him, hating him, and marrying him all within a span of a year. I would have never saw that coming. If somebody would have told me that, I would have been doing my best to make sure I dodged that plan. Probably why God didn't tell me because he knew I was going to be like over here trying to do something else, trying to make it not work out how it should. And yeah, it's been an adventure, but overall, it's been great. That's great to hear. So when you were at your four year point and you decided to switch career fields and you were debating between getting out, were you already a mom at that point? So, yes. So I had already been pregnant before and I had already birthed children, but they just happened to not be on this side of the earth. I was a mom, but like my children weren't with me. But when I went to re-enlist, I was pregnant with my son, who's now 11. So, yes, and I know that's hard for people, but I totally went through pregnancy and had to push them out. So I considered myself a mom. People just didn't know I was a mom because they couldn't see children. But when asked, I would always say yes. I think that's really important to talk about because I think even if you miscarriage before delivery that you're a mom because you still have that that baby that you think about and so yeah I think I think that's the perfect way to describe it but people don't quite understand yeah or you know people will think it's weird it's like that's a whole human and for me I had two babies in there so the whole two humans they just happen to go to heaven before I did so you know I was pregnant with them. Like I felt every bit of their existence just because they're not here doesn't mean I don't count them. And I know it's a struggle for moms because it's like, and I know we're not here to talk about this, but I felt led to kind of elaborate a little bit. I just felt like for a while I was cheating on those kids because, you know, it would be weird for people and they'd be like, you're a mom. Okay. Where are your kids? And I would say they're in heaven. And so, and they would be like freaked out. I don't know why you would be freaked out about that because the unfortunate truth is kids die. It would just be (laughs) like a weird, awkward conversation for people. And it's like, we don't have to dwell on that. I'm a mother. I have two kids in heaven. I'm now pregnant with my technically third child. Yeah. No, I think it's important to talk about. And a couple of weeks ago, on the podcast, I did an interview with someone who had postpartum depression. And I think that like talking about these things, especially for women, is important to talk about miscarriage, talk about postpartum depression, and like how all these things affect you when you're in the military. So so I'm glad that you brought it up. Yeah, right. And during that time, I experienced postpartum depression. I didn't know that it was still called that because, you know, my kids weren't here. But obviously when I went to the doctors, they helped me explore all of that stuff. And we talked about it and it was like, yeah, I mean, you you were pregnant. You had a baby. You are postpartum. You know, even though your babies aren't here, like you pushed them out. And I was, I was not early in my pregnancy. So I was half, I was at the halfway point. So for me, it was considered a delivery. So that was traumatic. And then um, being active duty was definitely hard because it's like, They are mission driven. They're like, what's wrong with you? You ain't together. You still dwelling on this? Those were things 
people would say to me. And it's like, yes, yes, I'm still dwelling on this one because a whole two babies have died in me, like inside of me. And I still have to go into labor. So like, that's not something that I can just kind of go back to after two weeks because that's all the time I got off. But that that was a whole thing. And so I make it my business to make sure when I encounter someone who's still active duty and or who's a veteran who's transitioned, who's had that type of traumatic event happen, make sure I allow them the space to talk about it. And if they want to cry, they can cry, you know, because things like that, you really don't get enough time in the military to grieve. You really don't get enough time to process because you, you have to go back to work. You have to put on this strong face to make sure that the troops are taken care of. It's just life. I mean, doesn't make it right. Don't mean it's great, but it's just what we have to do. Yeah. And the military is like mission focused. So like once you get your two weeks and then it's like, all right, back to business. And you're like, I'm not done processing this. I mean, I'm the fall of, as of we're recording this, the fall of Afghanistan happened on Sunday and I'm struggling with it. And that's not even like anything compared to a miscarriage. But if I was still active duty, I would have to be dealing with that, which so many people are, along with focusing on the mission. And the military doesn't really give you time to process. So maybe that's why I'm in therapy right now for my deployment, because instead of processing it, I just put it in a box and didn't deal with it and and kept moving forward. And now I'm trying to work through it. Right. And one thing that you said is you kind of put it in a box and it's like, I'll come back to it later. So what I know about military people, having been one myself, is we do that with a lot of things. We have this shelf that we build in our mind, in our heart, and we have these boxes that we tuck things away in and we put it on the shelf and we're like, okay, I'll revisit that later. And eventually we don't deal with it. And what happens is it it becomes like a jack in the box and it pops up. These different things pop up everywhere in our relationships, in our careers, in just life. And we like, what, what in the world is going on? And it's because we have basically put what really is a ticking time bomb in these boxes and we haven't dealt with it. And we've put a lot of boxes up there and the shelf is over overfilled. And so things keep popping up and we like, how? But it's because we didn't deal with it. Like, I am a huge advocate for therapy. Like, I'm a coach, but I also have a coach and I also have therapists. So and it's for that reason, because the loss of my children and that that was one of the things that was real traumatic for me was one of the things that would pop up here and there. You know, my feelings. And until I got off of active duty, actually went to therapy. It, it was intense. I couldn't properly grieve them. It took me probably like six months of intense therapy to be able to actually grieve. Now, I don't think the loss of anybody is something you get over. I think that's the wrong terminology to use. I think it's something you kind of process through, you know, and accept. But I don't think it's something you get over because to get over something, that means you don't think about it. That means you have buried it. And I don't think things that happen to you like that are something that you can get over, if I'm making any sense. 
Yeah. And it makes sense that it was intense therapy. My therapist yesterday said it's kind of like the Christmas lights that get all tangled together. And then you're like, well, I'm just going to leave them in the box and put it in the garage and not worry about it. And now you have to untangle it. I feel like somehow while it's in the box, it gets even more tangled up. So there's even more work to do. And I think that's so important. Mental health is so important and something that I'm a huge advocate for. And so I agree therapists and coaches and I have a business coach and a therapist and both of those things are so important. And it's interesting how much my business coach and my therapist connect together (laughs) and the different things that they find that that are like pain points in my life and where I get stuck. So, And I I just want to clarify. So for me, I do have a business coach, but I also have a marriage and relationship coach because I'm one. So I can't tell people to invest in their marriage in this way if I'm not willing to do that myself. And while there's a lot of things, you have to choose what's, what's best for you. And because we mentioned therapy and mental health and all that, There are different levels to intervention. Everybody not ready for the therapist level. Most people run from that because they're not ready. They need a peer group or mentor first, and then they probably need a coach. Then they probably will be ready to go over to the side of counselor therapist. You know, although prior to all of that, that's basically what they're getting just in a different It's just called a different word. (laughs) Really, I feel like for me, I've gone to therapy. I've always felt like I was ready for that because I'm like, I need to deal with the things here from my childhood so I can progress in the military. Then it's like, oh, the military really crazy. So it's like I need somebody to walk me through this military life. So I would say I've been in some form of intervention, whether it was coaching, a peer group, a mentorship therapy since I was 18 and even up to my age now, 33. So I have been progressing and learning that entire time. And I feel like, yes, we need business coaches because they do such amazing work to help us get out of our head and get, get the work done, you know, but we also need that personal coach, whether it be a life coach or like a relationship coach like myself to help them in the personal aspect. So I just wanted to make sure I made that clear too. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I actually started my mental health journey in a peer group. And it makes a lot of sense because the I was trying to figure out like where I needed to go. And I was getting a lot of push like you need to go to therapy, but I wasn't ready for it. And the peer group really was where I had a lot of healing and a lot of change. And and I was ready for therapy after going through that. But I don't think I was ready for the therapy when I started through the peer group. So that I, that's really good advice. Thank you. Yeah. I just want people to know that there there's always going to be something that's going to help you. If you're not ready for therapy and you're like, I'm not ready for this, I don't want to do it, then don't do therapy if you're not ready for it. Go to a peer group, go to a small group, start there. Start in your circle if the peer group is too much pressure also. You know, you may have a friend or a fellow military person who can help you or vet, you know, start there. So we had a really good and important discussion, but we took up a lot of our time. So I want to talk a little bit about your transition out of the military and what you're doing today. So you decided to cross train and you said you do it at a few different jobs. What led you to decide that it was time to get out of the military? Actually, it was my daughter. I'm going to say always in the back of my mind, I knew that I would get out. So I had always been planning, okay, this is what I'm going to do. If 
my career progress and I go the officer route. But if that don't work out, I had been saving money to start my own business. So I had my my daughter. um, And while it was the perfect pregnancy and everything went well, when she was born, she was just as perfect. And um, but when we took her home, it was like a downward spiral. She got a fever, which I wasn't used to with children who are nursing. And then um, we took it to the emergency room. And side note, when you go to the emergency room with kids, I promise those doctors act like you're the worst parent on the earth. I mean, they're doing their job because, I mean, having been a legal clerk, I know people be doing some crazy stuff to their children. So they're doing their job. And I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I nurse this baby all the time. Like, why does she have a fever? This is weird. And so found out a whole lot of stuff about her. And, and when I tell you it was a downward spiral, it was like down, you know, and so had a fever, couldn't gain weight. And she was the smallest of the three children. And I'm terrified. I'm like, oh, my goodness. She had to eventually go on an NG feeding tube and I had to stop nursing her. And so obviously I'm having all these emotions because she's in she's a newborn. So she wasn't even this happened prior to me going back to work because back then we only got six weeks off. They doing amazing things nowadays. But, um, you know, so everything was happening with her. Me and my husband still do still dual military. And so I'm going to work at this time. I'm still pumping, even though she's on this tube and I'm going in there. And, you know, you got a good pump and only take you about 30 minutes. I was in there for an hour. So 30 minutes crying, 30 minutes pumping and whichever way that kind of went at the time. And I was like, I cannot do this for the rest of my life. Like I cannot stay for the rest of this contract. I had two years left. I would have been in for 10 years. I was like, God, I cannot do this. I was like, I am losing my mind. And, you you know, it's a different type of postpartum depression that you fall into when, or a different category, I should say, when you are having a kid that looks like they fighting for their life and you literally can't do nothing but watch and pray. And so... For me, I was like, I, I can't do this. I got to get out. You know, my my command was very involved. I told my major, I told my master guns, hey, my daughter has this condition. My, uh, There's no daycare, literally, that can take her with that condition because they don't know what to do. There's no, like, daytime nursing place where she can be. There's nothing. And if there is something, it's like hour, two hours from where I work because it's an hour from where I stay. So uh, Virginia, again, that's where we ended up being at that time. That's why that was my last duty station um, because of that. And I was like, there got to be a way for me to get out. The only thing I knew about was the early release program, basically to go to school. And I was like, I ain't trying to do that because I'm really not going to be in school. (laughs) I'm going to be over here trying to figure out what's going on with my daughter. And so my major found out that I could get out on a hardship. Um, you know, still honorable, still all those things. That's great. Cause I, I mean, I never got in trouble, had a very great career, but he found that out. I was like, bet, let's do this. I was like, I, I'm out. And then, you know, 
during that process, it, it was a lot of hiccups. So I was supposed to get out in 10 days. Then it ended up being like a whole 45 days because they messed some stuff up. And I knew because I was financed, you know, so that's a plus. And it's like, all of this is wrong. Y'all didn't pay me for my leave, all that kind of stuff. So had to fix that. Then the process of getting out, I found out I was pregnant with with my other kid and my major was like, okay, well, are you sure you want to do this? You sure you want to get out? I was like, look, I've been saving since, you know, basically I got married and started having kids because I knew eventually this day would come. Didn't know it would be today, but I knew this day would come eventually. So I've been planning and I was like, never been more sure. Just because I'm pregnant don't mean I want to still stay here with the same issues that's going on with this daughter. So I was like, it, it's it's time for me to go. And I wasn't prepared for the tears, not my tears, but the tears of the troops and the higher ups. They were really sad. Some of them, some of them probably didn't care, <laughs> but, you know, they were really legit sad. I, ha- I guess I didn't realize the impact my service had on others because I was just like in that moment, thinking about myself, thinking about my daughter, thinking about my family as a whole. I didn't take into account everybody else. And I was like, well, as long as I'm here, I'll be on your family care plan. Cause I know how hard that is. I I know it. And you can't put other active duty people on there because they may be deploying with you. So I was like, y'all can always call me. You know, if you have questions, if you just need to vent, I'm always here, you know, and and people still call me today, (laughs) which I've been out for eight years. And so people still call me today. So that's the beauty of it. But I really got out because of my family. I wanted to be there for my kids. I really wanted to be there to care for them and not have to stress out at work because I don't know what's going to happen with them or what or who's going to take care of them. Because, like I said, me and my husband were active duty. So neither one of us, neither one of us could really pick up the slack for each other in that way. Yeah. And you mentioned something that I think was crucial for you being able to get out is that you started preparing by saving when you got married and knew in the back of your mind, like you wanted to stay in, but you knew you kind of like knew something like this was about eventually going to happen and that it would be time for you to pick your family over your career. But because you had saved you had confidence in being able to do that. And so I think that's a really big takeaway is that you got to start preparing for your transition. Like right when you join the military, start putting away your paycheck and saving and getting certification or whatever it is so that when life happens and maybe something comes up that you need to get out faster than you expected, you can be ready. Right. And to, You just don't know how it's going to present itself or how or when it's going to pop up. So you want to make sure you're ready. One of the things me and my husband did is we said, okay, we're always going to live off of one of our one of our paychecks and then save the other. So it was his because it's like, why not you? (laughs) So it was him. And then um, for my paycheck, we would always save and invest it because we wanted to make sure that we could survive, you know? And even when we went from one to three kids, we was like, we still gonna make sure that we can live off one paycheck in, in case something happens. Cause I'm very good with 
handling many roles. Um, I won't say he's not great, but it's not as flawless for him. Um, for me, it's just like second nature because I, I mean, I've been doing it since I was a kid. You know, I had to take care of my younger siblings because they were so much younger than me and my older sister. I had to take care of the house because my parents both worked, you know, and so it was something I always did. So and even though I'm working from home now, it's a lot more flexible than if I was kind of out there in the marketplace, really. So, yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about you've mentioned that you're a marital coach, right? Right. Yeah. So let's talk about your business and then we'll wrap up the interview with one last question. Okay, so I basically started my business. Um, So I started my entrepreneurial journey the same year I got out of the military, which was 2014. And um, I started I just continued as a wedding planner and photographer. It was my side hustle when I was on active duty. Side note or disclaimer, I think everybody in the military, if you can, should have some form of side hustle because the military is great now, but you want to have extra money where you can do fun things with or that you can invest. So that ends that that little TED talk I had. But, um, you know, I did that. And so what made me be a marriage coach now is because. I would do these workshops to have people come back, you know, where are you now kind of thing. And a lot of the couples would not be married still. And I'm like, what? What happened? Y'all were only married for like six months, a year, two years even. What, what happened in here? You know, and it was because they didn't really know each other or didn't really have any ongoing training after they got married. So for me, I was like, OK, I need to create something right here, um, like a like a a course or a workshop or something so people know how to transition because it's also a transition from being single, being in having this wedding and then actually being married. So I started that and then it would be more of that would be requested. And so I was like, well, I'm doing more over here coaching people than I am doing weddings now. And so I ended up being At first, I did the military bride planner and I was like, "Mm, that sounds okay." But then I changed it. And, you know, I was like, so what do I actually do? I actually do strategy with these couples. So I was like, "Okay, I'm a strategist. So I changed it to the military bride strategist. And the reason for that title is because I want the, the women, because that's what I primarily deal with. Husbands will come eventually. But um I deal with the women mostly is I want them to remember that they are the bride. Men ain't gonna forget they the groom, they the husband and all that. But it's it's a mindset thing with women because our brains operate different. So you're his forever bride. So that's basically what we're doing. So we're gonna start there and we're gonna work our way to wife. And that is the process I take them to. And I, I always try to help them envision what that looks like for them. So I'm the military bride strategist because of that. And I am branded I am branded in the way I am because I back it up with my expertise, with my research and with my experience. And so I am the number one military marriage, family and relationship coach because I do the marriage stuff. But I also teach you things you can do within your family dynamic because it does translate to all of these things. And every now and then we talk about other relationships in there. And every now and then I get 
people who are single who either desire to be married or desire to be in a relationship, a serious relationship of some kind. So I'm able to help them as well. So basically all that to say, I train and equip these military couples, families and singles and how to be mission ready and mission capable capable by creating resilience. And I teach them how to thrive at home and in their their career without sacrificing either or. Like you can have this phenomenal career, but you can also have this phenomenal marriage and household dynamic. So that is what I do. I love that. It's so awesome. And um, I put all your links in the show notes so people can find you if they want to learn more information and your website's there. And so I'm really, I'm really glad that we got to have this conversation. I think it's been, it's been different than what I expected, but I'm really, especially with a Marine, I didn't know we'd be talking about mental health. So this is awesome. Um, But I always like to end the interview with what advice would you give to young women who are considering military service? So my advice would be don't go open contract for one. I made that mistake. Y'all can learn from me. See, don't do that. Um, Go in knowing exactly what you want and don't be afraid to ask for it. Um, I will say this. No one is going to give you anything. You're going to have to take it. You're going to have to earn it. So go into this knowing exactly what you want and exactly where you want to be, like have a plan, like in one year. And this is basically one year after you hit the fleet. This is where I want to be. This is where I want to be in three years. This is where I want to be in five years, because if you don't, they're going to tell you where you're going to be in one year, three years and five years. And, you know, and if you go open contract like I did, they're going to tell you what kind of job you're going to have. Now, it, it worked out for me because Motor T, I, I did hate it, but I was able to recover and say, OK, let me get a different job. Let me do something else. But m- mainly a lot of people get out because they hate their jobs. So don't be open contract. If you have to take the ASVAB again, do so. It's OK. So just have a plan and know what you want. That's great advice. Thank you so much for sharing your story and coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support. (music) 